Hi and welcome to the Authorised Podcast, a podcast where writers speak. My name's Kevin Hillier and today an author uh, to talk about her second book, really fascinating uh, genre of books and we'll get to that in, uh, in just a tick. But I want to remind you about our fabulous podcast partners. And when it comes to finances, they're the people you should be talking to. Now, whether the volatility of the uh, current interest rate situation has changed things for you and you want to have a look at what you're doing or you're just at that uh, point where you think, uh, hang on, I'm not quite getting what I want out of uh, all the things that I have uh, in my financial portfolio, well, they're the people to talk to who'll sort it all out for you and make sure that you do get what you're after. It's CSCG. You can give them a call. They're terrific people to deal with. Uh, they'll be happy to take your call on double nine seven four. 8333 or jump on the website, have a look at uh, the services they have, the people you'll be dealing with, and then give them a call. That's uh, cscg.com.au, double nine seven four eight triple three. Now, today we're talking to Tori Hashka. Now, this is Tori's second book, and the uh, I mentioned it's a really interesting genre. It is a genre that I think she kind of is, uh, is partly responsible for inventing. It's called food fiction. She was a food blogger before this and a food writer and now has turned her attention to writing uh, fiction with a food theme. It's really fascinating stuff and she's a delightful human being. So uh, let me introduce you to Tori Hashka, our author for this episode of The Authorised Podcast. Tell us about the gestation of this book because it did have, it did have kind of like two lives. Yes, it did, this book. Well, this book is, so A Recipe for Family is my second novel and um, it continues the world that was established in my first novel, Grace Under Pressure. Um, And so it picks up in the same landscape of the northern beaches of Sydney um, with another group of women who are really just trying their best to keep their heads above water. Um, And this one started, um, it, it was, I wanted to play with the idea of we know that you can't buy family, but can you rent it? (laughs) Is it possible to rent family? Um, And in the time period in which I was writing this book was during two lockdowns. And so the idea of the difficulties that families face um, balancing work and, you know, the work of caregiving um, when you're cut off from your villages um, well, there was a lot of there was a lot of material to play with there. Yeah. Um, though to be fair, it is it is not set in the pandemic. Um, I don't think anybody's ready to read about the pandemic yet, and I'm certainly not ready to write about it. Um, but it was it was a book that was written um, while I was certainly living some of the challenges with two children under six at home um, and a spouse who was on you know twelve hours of Zoom calls a day, um, and it was written mostly in the dark. Early in the mornings and late at night. <laughs> uh, now, it, it, you had a, a, another name for it at the start. It was it a, a stellar plan? And and yes. Now that now that not much of that survived, except for I, I gather the last chapter. Uh yes. It's it's gone through quite a few iterations. So a stellar plan is the play on the on the lead character, which is um Stella. Yep. Um, but. Over time, I realised that what is interesting to me is braiding together stories of different women and giving different perspectives because there's always a different side to the story. There's always, you know, somebody else's opinion on a matter Um, and that's the difficulty in getting things right. So I wanted to be able to braid together multiple perspectives and in this one it's Stella, it's her mother-in-law, Elise, who's a staunch feminist, and an au pair 
that they bring in, you know, supposedly as the solution to their domestic travails from America, who's motherless, um, and all in all, it creates a bit of a mess. Um, and over time, it morphed from being a story about, um, um, you know, a, a comedy of manners, which it still is, but to, further towards food fiction, which is where my origins as a writer are. And I had a lot of fun um, over the time period of, of playing more and more with the role that food has in providing us comfort when the world is hard. Yeah. Also, obviously, with with Ava and Elise and Stella, you've got the generational thing as well, which which also brings another kind of layer into it, doesn't it? Absolutely, and I think there is so much wisdom that is locked up in the stories of women, and that's what I love to be able to play with, is knowing that there is nothing new under the sun, and all of the problems you know that I'm dealing with as a mother of two. Certainly my mother and my godmothers and my grandmother, you know, they all had their own version of it. And so to be able to play with those generational tensions, um, you know, is, for a writer is great because you get to spin things on their head and see, wonder, you know, what would this look like to somebody from a different generation? Food fiction's a really interesting concept. It's a, I mean, do, do, you basically invented that. No, not at all. <laughs> well, sort of. I mean, you've sort of taken it and, well, it's it's finally got a name. I mean, you've probably had, oh. a, you know, a million other books that have been set in similar sort of thing, but all yeah. of a sudden I saw the term food fiction. I went, that's a really good idea. Well, I think in, if you asked a lot of, you know, well, if you ask me what two things that bring me great joy out of a day are, one is a good meal and the other is a great book. And so most of the time when I'm eating one meal, I'm planning what I'm cooking for the next. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the time, you know, I'll like to be able to relax with a meal if I'm on my own by reading a book. But um, the thing that has been so, um, you know, I guess delicious for an author is that the world of metaphor around food is so ripe and accessible for you. So, before I was um, a novelist, uh, I was a food writer. I was yeah. a food and travel writer. Before we had children, we travelled the world. We had My husband and I had an insane quest after a family tragedy of trying to eat at the 10 best restaurants in the world. And so we had sort of a, a, a baby bucket list, which uh-huh. we called it. Where before we had our kids, you know, we wanted to really make sure that we milked the most out of life. So we travelled around the world. We ate um, and I wrote a couple of cookbooks in that time and travel stories and recipes. And from that, you know, bucket of experience, it gave me a greater appreciation of how you can use your knowledge of food to describe what's happening in, in front of you. So in my first novel, Grace Under Pressure, um, Grace was was a food writer herself. It was fiction, I promise, but Grace, <laughs> Grace, Grace, Grace was a food writer. And one of the, one of the things that first kicked off that novel was the sensation of being post-birth, you know, in that intense vulnerability that happens in those early milky weeks of new motherhood. And the closest word that I could come to to describe it is a French culinary term called bavieuse, which is where you talk about in cooking an omelette, you know, it's when the proteins of the egg are just set and everything's a bit damp and it wobbles. And that was what new motherhood was to me. You know, everything is just so tenuous and wobbles and 
damp yeah. all the time. Um, and so finding ways to be able to, you know, knit together motherhood and um, and food has been, you know, a really good intellectual project, yeah. um, particularly in those years of raising kids when there is a lot of work that is is a bit boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's a it's a fabulous concept. Uh, it's a it's a big jump to go from you know just writing articles about food to to writing a, a complete. I mean, you did a couple of cookbooks, but to write a complete work of fiction that involves food that's that's a massive jump. It is, it is. Um, but it's been so satisfying to do, and I think that's the that's you know lots of writers move between forms, and there's it's it's a bit like play to do that. Um, and I think you write the books that when the ideas won't leave you, when you've got an idea that just taps, keeps tapping itself on your shoulder, um, that's the book that you want to write. And when I was writing Grace Under Pressure, um, the premise of that one was, you know, why don't we live in a village of women? You know, there were so many women that I could see who were just adrift and struggling because that traditional notion of a village was lost. And so the premise of that one is that a group of mothers you know, who are on their own or in unsupportive relationships, band together and, and form a mum unit, a commune together. Yeah. Um, you know, whether or not that works out for them, you have to read the novel to find out. Um, but for this one, the idea that I really wanted to play with is, is how do we mother each other? You know, there is this intergenerational connection between women that um, is often solidified over the foods that we serve each other that... Um, can provide comfort. And then the contrast to that is is just all of the moral murkiness that we're surrounded <laughs> with at the moment. Like it's just really hard yeah. to get things right. <laughs> There's a lovely expression that you've, you've introduced in the book called hand taste, which is uh, I think. Yes. And, and uh, we do a food podcast as well called Food Bites. And, I, and the amount of people that you talk to whenever you talk about you know, growing up was they've all everyone's got a memory about something to do with the way their mother cooked, something yes. their mother did, some yes. taste that that or a smell that just floods that memory back into you. Yeah. And hand taste is kind of a, a a version of that in a in a way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a it's an extension of that in the and it comes from a um, a Korean notion of that that a one woman's kimchi is going to taste different from another, it's not just because of the spices that she uses or the ratios, but because the microbes that are on somebody's hand and the effort that they put into, you know, into squelching and forming something or to moulding something is going to find its way into the food. Mm. And, um, and you know, it's the same with lots of fermentations, with, with sourdough mothers um, and with, you know, um, and I think that that sense of that when you are cooking something for somebody else, you you're putting more than just your effort into it. You are a lot of the time transferring part of part of your soul, part of yourself to another person. Yeah. When you when you sat down and, and I mean it's a, you said it's a hundred thousand words, so it's a very big book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did did do uh, I mean the 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 little uh, Facebook uh, sort of notations that are that are in there? The fact that every chapter is is named after a dish. Did was that all as you were going along, or was that after you'd finished and gone okay? Now, how do I actually set this out and do all that stuff? Well, both, of, both of those stylistic devices were things that I had introduced in Grace Under Pressure yeah. in that, you know, and I frame chapters with recipe ideas or with food because that's the way that I see a day. You know, food is the lens through which I view the world. So a good day is 
started with a cup of tea served hot and a bad day usually ends with just the scraps off my children's plate for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, and I think that's the same for a lot of people. You know, you you will remember the golden days in your life by what you ate. Um, And so a recipe for family starts, you know, with a cup of cold tea and ends with warm tea, you know, and that's, you know, there's a progression in that. And so finding the foods that highlight the mood for a chapter is that's fun for a food writer to be able to do. You know, what is the recipe that's going to best convey a sense of connection between these two characters? What is the, you know, if you are coming into somebody's life after being gone for a long time and trying to seduce them again, you know, what is what are you going to cook for them? in order to, you know, entice them to think about you in a different way. And, you know, the silkiness of pesto and the, and the you know, the almost, you know, eroticism of hand-grinding pest, grinding pesto together is, is something that's fun to play with. Um, so the food was something that was always there. And the same thing for the Facebook posts. Um, the Facebook posts, anybody who's a, who's a parent in this day and age, particularly a mother, I think, will be familiar with these local area mothers' Facebook groups. And they are ripe for satire. <laughs> but they also, uh. They're also ripe for setting the moral compass of a time. You know, they certainly let you know what the anxieties are, what the paranoias are, what the potential scabs of judgment are going to be. And um, I had a lot of fun with them in Grace Under Pressure and they were sort of, um, we referred to them in that as um, a Greek chorus who can touch type. You know, there's something <laughs> that that is a, that sits within the novel to break up the pace but also to foreshadow the action that's going to happen um, and to to just provide an external climate of these are the these are the things that everybody's concerned about. So in a recipe about of, of for family, one of the things that I wanted to toy with more was um, was professional faux pas. You know, everybody's got the stories of of where you muck up on a job. Yeah. You know, because nobody gets it right all the time. Um, my sister has a great saying she says to me all the time, which is you get that on the big jobs. You know, you're just going to, like, there are going to be there are going to be times where you're going to drop a ball. And so I wanted to thread those through in the sense that everybody is fallible and um, and what are the things that are going to trip these women up as they try their best. Yeah. Um, tell us about Ava because you you had had or still have an, an no, au pair? Of, no? We, we did. So I, I had some lived experience um, with the notion of with, with au pairs. Mm. Au pairs are a really interesting phenomenon. Um, the direct translation of an au pair is somebody who is equal to. And so it's a notion, it's, it's, but equal to what? Are they supposed to be equal to family? So they're a sort of stopgap of childcare that works for a lot of people. For yeah. me and my family, they work because my husband was travelling overseas a lot. I had two young children. I had a book deadline. And um, one of my children has um, chronic asthma. So there were a lot of nights where we would have to do a hospital run um, and I didn't really want to have to wake up the baby to take the older one, you know, and carry two two children into into an emergency room. And so um, my au pair came as sort of a Hail Mary pass of, oh, I can get somebody else to come into the house and they'll be there overnight and if I need to 
dash, you know, the eldest off to hospital, that's fine. You get some discounted childcare for it. You get an additional family member. They help out with some light chores in which it is, you know, a little bit of cooking, unstacking the dishwasher, etc. you know, folding the children's washing if asked. But they get to live with you and it's a cultural exchange. Um, but there is an inherent blurriness in it that makes it really interesting to live with and also interesting to play with in fiction yeah. because, you know, drama happens at the boundaries of life. And if somebody's not quite an employee and not quite a member of the family and is working in your house but also is, deser- is deserving of time off, that is, that's hard sometimes for parents because mm. as a parent, there is no time off. No, it's 24-7, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there, is, there is no time off. So, um, so we learnt a lot in that experience and I know particularly for some families who have fly-in, fly-out jobs or they live regionally um, or they work shift works, au pairs are a fantastic solution. But for, for others, you know, it can, there are certainly a lot of horror stories around. <laughs> <laughs> Do you do you plan? Did the was the book planned out before you started writing, or did it did it develop as you as you went along? Um, I I always start my books at the end. I need to know, you know. I'm I'm also one of those terrible people who will sometimes skip to the end of a book. Oh really? Oh no, oh. that's no, not on. No, you can't. Sometimes, sometimes. Listen, sometimes, sometimes you just need to know that it's all going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, but but for me, I always find that that I know how it starts and I know how it ends. But the the hard bit is the messy middles of it all. Of how do you everything that you set up has to pay off somehow, and how do you make the drama in the middle interesting enough to keep people pushing through um, to get to the you know the climaxes and the revelations at the end. So. That was that was harder with this one, partly because in the third draft we there were originally four characters who oh, had a voice, okay. and one of the one of the characters we deleted, um, and so it suddenly went from a four part to a three part, and that was um, that was a lot of time with sticky notes on the floor trying to figure out how the revelations could occur without that fourth perspective. Yeah. Did you get lost a little in the middle in the murkiness there? Is, is that what oh, happened? Completely. <laughs> completely. <laughs> but also last last year was a hard year, I think, for a lot of people to be creative. Um, it, particularly, you know, we I moved to um, regional New South Wales and just before the pandemic hit last year um, in order to try and keep both myself and my son, who's got asthma, a bit safer. Yeah. Um, and so trying to work with two small children at home was um, made made focus a bit harder. Um, and I also had my daughter home from kindergarten, a four-year-old at home all year with me, um, partly to keep help keep my son safer and also because childcare deserts in Australia are a real thing. Yeah. And in regional New South Wales, I just could not find a kindergarten spot wow. for her. Jeez. So um, we spent a lot of quality time. <laughs> yeah, 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 and uh, and uh, your uh, respect and uh, and validation of the teaching profession will have gone in the process. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Not all heroes wear capes. <laughs> yes, yes, as you say beautifully in the book. So, um, what's what's next? 
what's next? Um, well, I think, as you said, food fiction is, is you know, is a nice place for me to be. Yep. So I'm going to keep exploring that. Um, I'm really fascinated by the um, uh, the experience that I had briefly and the experience that a lot of people have had post-COVID of losing their sense of taste and smell and how destabilising that can be. Um, so I didn't have that. When I got I didn't get that. Did, did, did you get that in big time, yes. did you? Yeah, yeah. I got, I got a previous strain and... Um, and I lost my sense of taste and smell for quite a few weeks and it was incredibly disorientating. So, um, yeah, it was it was a great day when coffee finally started tasting good oh. again. Um, but I think, you know, that's that's a notion that I'm that I'm looking to explore at the moment. And um, I'm just also really looking forward to getting out and talking to a lot of book clubs and a lot of people about a recipe for family because I think there are some issues in there that women, you know, that women want to talk about. Yep. Oh, well, you've done the homework already for the book club. Uh, you've you put the questions in the back of the book for them to, to be able to um, to ask, <laughs> to which is do, do it do it yourself. I don't even have to. I just go to page whatever it is at the back of the book here and go. There's the there's the ten questions for the book club. Perfect. There we go. All the more time for people to you know have a glass of wine and some cheese. Yep. Uh, beautiful. And the recipes at the back of you go. Uh, it's it's all encompassing. There's it's all there. Yeah. It's been um, it's been a fun fun ride. Yep. Yeah, well, you got a smile on your face and a and a, a fabulous book, and to, to have that in your hands and look at it and go, I did that is uh, is very impressive. Oh, thank you, Gavin. Very <laughs> impressive. Thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And good luck with whatever is uh, is coming next. Food fiction is a, I mean, it's it's what bonds us. It's what uh, gels us. It's uh, you know, we 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 gravitate to the kitchen and and have fun there and have our our earnest discussions there. It's a it's a hell of a place to to set a book and uh, and to have people revolve around it. And you've done a terrific job. So, congratulations and thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you, Kevin. Have a great day. You too. My thanks to Tori for her time, and we look forward to uh, many more books in, uh, in this fascinating little genre that she's created called food fiction. Uh, the name of the book, incidentally, I'm not sure that I uh, that I mentioned. I'm sure we did uh, during during the interview, but it's called A Recipe for Family, and it's out uh, through Simon & Schuster if you want to grab a copy of that book, A Recipe for Family. Family's normally a recipe for disaster or for something. Uh, but in this case, it's a recipe for a very good book. Uh, so enjoy that. I uh, hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Authorised Podcast. A reminder about our fabulous partners, that CSCG. If there's anything that you need to talk to someone about your financial situation and how, uh, how much rosy you would like it to look or how much more organised you'd like it to be, give them a call because they are the best people. Double nine seven four eight triple three cscg.com. Till the next time, read a book and I'll talk to you again soon on the Authorised Podcast. 